Mm. Hey, like most of my generation, I grew up in a household that smoked. Anybody else like that right there? Just look around. You can kind of see where the dividing line in our culture is. I think um, younger people grew up where smoking obviously was harmful to your health and secondhand smoke was um, very much known about. But I grew up uh, at a time and a place where people were not so aware of that. It seemed like everybody smoked. Both my parents smoked, and they smoked everywhere. Smoked in a house, smoked in a car, smoked on an airplane. One of the silliest things in the world was that an airplane had a smoking and non-smoking section, for those who can remember. I remember the first, first trip, I was probably eight years old, that I took on uh, a plane. My mom wanted to sit us in the non-smoking section, and it may as well not have been. It was just one big cloud on the airplane. You smoked in the theater. Smoked at restaurants. The only place I can remember people not smoking was at church. They smoked outside, but not inside. And funny enough, we had a priest that came to our house, and I found a picture. Over Christmas time, I was flipping through an old book that we have full of pictures from growing up. And the priest that came to visit us at our house, smoking a cigarette while sitting in our house. Father Frudenstein was his name. And he was a smoker. Seemed like everybody smoked. Now listen, I had good parents. And my parents never did anything intentional to harm their family. It was known that smoking was not good for you. But it wasn't until years later that all the information about secondhand smoke came out. And so it seemed like up until I was 12 years old, I, I guarantee you my parents were two-pack-a-day smokers. And I bet by the time I was 12, I had smoked 10,000 cigarettes and never picked one up <laughs> in my life was amazing. Uh, funny thing was that smoke kind of permeated everything and you didn't know it. It just seemed like everybody smoked. And our clothes would smell like it. Our walls actually had a yellow tint to them, but you didn't know it until you had something else to compare it to. The pictures even had a glaze that was on it from the smoke. And it wasn't until I was 13 years old in junior high, got invited to a friend's house for a sleepover and his parents didn't smoke and all of a sudden I was exposed to a place that had no smoke into it whatsoever and it was like the colors came alive. Boom! More than that, I was suddenly aware of how much I smelled like smoke and how much they didn't. And up until that point, it just seemed like every place I went was infiltrated with the smoke, and I didn't realize it. And it was only being exposed to something that was so completely opposite of it that it suddenly dawned on me, man, we're living with a habit that's permeated all parts of our lives, and we didn't even know it. Just ignorance. Spiritually speaking, sometimes believers end up with stuff in their life and it seems like everybody else lives the exact same way. And it's only when you have a comparison that's the exact opposite that you then realize this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't normal. It's not natural. Somehow your eyes have to be open so that you see what you otherwise can't see. And then you can make changes. Years ago, my kids were little. We took a vacation. We were headed out towards the East Coast and we drove. We had an old minivan we drove through eastern Colorado. How many of you know what eastern Colorado looks like? <laughs> you want to get through that part of the journey as quick as you can. You get out there, and it's dry, and it's flat, and it's sort of boring, and there's not a lot to look at. And way in the distance, 
I could see a sign. Because there was nothing else around, it got my attention. And everybody else in the van is sleeping, and I couldn't wait to get closer to see what this was. Probably a 50 or 70 or 100 foot sign. I mean, it was really, really large and really up there. And as I got close, I could see a pair of hands. One was holding a knife, one's holding a fork. It's cutting a steak, and it said, Eat more beef. I'm all for that. But what was weird is that the noonday sun was casting a shadow from the sign to the ground. And where the shadow was, about 50 cows <laughs> were trying to crowd into the shadow of where this sign was at. So I look at the sign and I see the hands cutting the steak. And then I look down at the dumb cows that are all crowding in the shadow. I look back up at the sign. I looked at the cows, and God can speak to me at unusual times. <laughs> and my thought was, man, you silly cows. You're running to shelter in something that absolutely represents your destruction. It felt like the Holy Spirit said, I have people that try to find shelter in things that represent their destruction. And until your eyes are opened... Until you can see what you don't see. You don't know. You don't know. And you can live your life, man, that way. And you simply are so unaware that there's something else. That there's more. That God's got more. And that's where this series is going to. We titled it Detox. And I don't mean detox like a person who has a habit that controls their life and they need to go away someplace in order to break free. I mean detox like getting stuff out of your life that's hurting you. Like if you've ever had to overcome smoking, there has to be a detox that takes place. A few years ago, Chris was reading an article about detoxing your liver and ordered some product that you drank that helped you detox your liver. And apparently I had stored things for 50 some odd years in my liver that suddenly got detoxed. It was an ugly mess. I won't go further with that. Use your imagination. But the detox happened, and I carried those things around never knowing until we dealt with them that they were there. Here's my question. Spiritually speaking, is there anything in your life you need to detox from? The Bible talks about sins that entangle our feet and our legs so that we can't run our race effectively. The Bible mentions things that grab themselves around our lives and hook us so that we're unable to see what God wants us to see, to go where God wants us to go, to think the way God wants us to think. We're trapped and we don't even know it. Until your eyes are open, you can't see what you don't see. You ever think where you're at spiritually and what it should look like? That's what this is about. Detoxing spiritually. Opening your eyes. Some of us this time of year have resolutions that we make physically. Do you ever do that spiritually? Every one of you are going to be someplace spiritually at the end of 2017. Where do you want to be? Do you want to be closer to God? Do you want more of his presence in your life? Do you want to hear his voice clearer? Do you want to see the supernatural activity of God in your life? Or will you just coast through 2017 and be where you are or less and never recognize it? Until your eyes are opened, you don't know what you don't know. How's your life spiritually? 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 
The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of believers about 2,000 years ago, and here's what's interesting. If you were to look at them in space and time, they dressed different, they talked different, and they lived a little bit different, but underneath all of those external things was a group of people who loved God and wanted to follow him, and they were dealing with stuff spiritually in their life they couldn't get free from, and so Paul begins to address those issues. And in addressing how to detox spiritually, he doesn't use the word detox, but when I read it, you'll see it. He gives them instructions on how to deal with stuff that's holding them back spiritually. And this is what he says. Since we have these promises, which promises? The promises of God. What are those promises, man? Those are promises of life yes. and of health and of peace and of joy and of righteousness. God's plans for you are good and they're abundant and they're overflowing. God wants good things for your life. So Paul's just simply referring to that because we have these awesome promises from God. Because God's done this for us, look at his advice. Friends, let us cleanse, detox. Yeah. Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that what? Contaminates. Contaminates body and spirit. It's interesting. It's easy to look in a mirror and figure out something's got to change. But how do you do it spiritually? How do you test? How do you examine? How do you know? And I'll give you something in a few minutes, kind of a little litmus test where you can just check and examine how am I doing spiritually and where do I want to be? But his advice is let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and the spirit by becoming mature in our fear, our respect, our love for God is what he's saying. Let's deal with stuff. So let me just give you quickly, broad brush for the first message of a new series, three things, three ways Three principles to detox spiritually. Here's the first one. you got a pen. You might want to write it down. Deal with stuff. Deal with stuff, man. We live in Colorado. We get some good snow around here from time to time. In the last month or so, finally the snow is here. And unfortunately with it has come the cold. Chris and I, uh, our anniversary and my birthday is right around this time of year. So we snuck away for four days and we went to California. And I would say to you, it was cool when we were there, but you would reject that because it was cold while you were here. So it was like a miserable 60 degrees there. <laughs> I know, hard to get sympathy, right? And it was what here? Six? What a stark difference. I don't mind the snow but I detest that extra cold like that. The way that they deal with snow here in Colorado is that they use gravel. On the East Coast, they use a lot of salt. Salt has a different effect on snow. They both melt it, but salt has that ability to deteriorate your car, the streets. Colorado uses more gravel than they would dumping rock salts. Here's the problem with gravel, though. No matter how careful you are at driving... No matter how much you try to avoid it, if you drive in the snow, your car picks up gravel, yes or no? And then if you park in a garage and it melts, what happens to the gravel? The gravel fairies come overnight and take it away. No, it ends up on your garage floor, and if you drive a winter's worth in Colorado, you end up with pounds of gravel. And here, here is what bugs me. It's never isolated to just your garage. It ends up inside of your house, on your floor, in your carpet, in your shoe, and in places you don't want it at. And then, I don't know about you, but my driveway kind of faces a way that it doesn't always melt, so I wait till the springtime to hose everything out, and by the time I do that, I literally am scooping pounds of gravel. And here's the funny thing, if you don't deal with it, 
you'll have room for nothing else in your life except gravel. And we laugh at that and we chuckle at that, but let me say it to you this way. No matter how careful you are, and no matter how hard you try, living in this life, you will pick up stuff in this world. And you will have to deal with that stuff. And if you don't deal with it, eventually, look at me real quick, you're not going to have room for anything else in your life except the stuff that you've picked up in this world. What's that stuff look like? Attitudes. You ever met anybody with an attitude? Some are like... (laughs) (laughs) Habits. Living this life, you can pick up habits, huh? Thoughts. Judgments. Disappointments. Hurt. Anger. Responses. Mistakes. Labels. All sorts of stuff. No matter how careful you are, no matter how hard you try... Living in this life, you pick up stuff and it accumulates in your life. And if you don't deal with the stuff, it adds up and all you'll do is deal with the stuff. All of your prayers will be about the stuff. God, help me get rid of the stuff. God, I hate this stuff. God, I don't want these things. And instead of having your heart free so that you can actually pray prayers that are really powerful, you pray prayers about stuff all the time. Your whole life then ends up dealing with Junk and stuff, man. Deal with the stuff. This is important. So like those of you who go here know, it's one of the worst things that ever happened. I had a heart attack a few months ago. It changed my life. On one side, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. On the other side, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me, believe it or not. Changed my life. Before, it was so hard to work out. Now, every day, I'm really motivated. (laughs) Before, I could not get myself to exercise. Now, it's a part of my life. It's real simple. If I want to live, I work out. It's just like become real simple to me now. It's not hard to be motivated. One of the ways that I work out, I walk every day. I kind of walk, run. I do a little combination. I make it a part of my schedule. I make it a part of my life. Here's what I figure. If you want me to do this long term, then it has to be a regular part of what I do to do this. So I make it a part of my schedule. It's not what I do after I work. I make it a part of how I work. So when I go out, man, I listen to other people pastors and teachers that I respect during that time and I might be out for an hour, an hour and a half and I'll just listen to what they're teaching and then I just pray about those things and in the last couple of weeks while out walking around and listening to God and praying about the stuff I felt the Lord say to me these really powerful words you are not a victim John you act like this stuff is just inevitable you act like this is all that's going to go on in your life and your whole prayer is based on the stuff quit acting like a victim Deal with the stuff so you can overcome it. I thought that was just for me. But as I wrote it down in my notes, I think it's a word for the church today. Listen to me. You're not a victim. You're not helpless. You're not simply a pawn going through life. You can't help what's going on. Paul teaches a group of believers this principle, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Really powerful. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This sentence, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's what he's saying. You can take it captive. You can do something about it. You don't have to take it. You don't have to put up with it. You don't have to just simply exist hoping it goes away at some point. You're not just living to get to heaven. You can overcome these things here and now. You're not a victim. You have authority And you can win. God's called you to do that, man. Deal with the stuff. When I say that, 
we tend to think, Pastor, you just don't know. There's other things involved. Other people are responsible. I get all of it. I live in the same world you do, and I pick up the same stuff. And trust me, deal with the stuff. You can be in charge. You can take control. God's called you to win. You've got to fight. You've got to do your part. Deal with the stuff. Let me give you the second one. Three principles, three ways, three keys to detox spiritually. Deal with the stuff. Here's the second one. Discern your spiritual health. I don't know if you ever think about this. I don't know if you do it. Maybe because I'm the pastor, I have to think about it more, and I have to think about it on your behalf. So a lot of what I teach then, I try to get people to think this way, to consider these things, to, to consider your soul, consider your spirit, consider where your spiritual life is at. So stand up this weekend, and I'm talking about this. Just You don't need to raise your hand. It's rhetorical. Just think, but think, um, think considerably about this right now. Don't just dismiss it. Don't answer it real, real uh, casually or just being glib. Think about this right now. Do you know how to discern your spiritual health? And if you do, how are you doing spiritually? Where's your spiritual temperature at right now? Are you healthy spiritually? Is it vibrant? Is it alive? Is it growing or is it cold? Is it dry? Is it retreating? Where are you at spiritually? Obviously, we can do things that affect us because Paul is telling a group of believers, let's cleanse ourselves of the things that are messing us up spiritually. Obviously, we can do something about it. We have choices. Discern your spiritual health. Paul, again, teaching a group of believers this principle gives them this advice in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Examine yourselves. Check it out. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Look at this sentence. Test yourselves. How do you test yourself spiritually? I went to church. I gave money. I sang a song. Look at me. People that don't know God can do those things. That can fool you. That can actually just be a religious response. You can mess yourself up eternally by just asking and answering religious questions. How do you discern your spiritual health? Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, then you failed the test of genuine faith. Don't think of this as heaven and hell. Think of this as life that God wants you to have. Are you experiencing the life God wants you to have? All right, let me give you four things. They're not in your notes. I'm going to write them down for you. Four ways you can test, you can examine. If I told you to go test yourself physically, you'd have a way that you could go to a doctor. You could look in a mirror. You could go out and try to run a mile. You'd know where you're at physically. But how do you do that spiritually? So let me, let me just give you four things. Here, here's the first one. What's your level of faith today. What's your level of faith today? What kind of prayers are you praying? What are you believing God for? How much do you pray for the miraculous to happen in your life? Do you even pray for the miraculous to happen in your life? I got a buddy that's sitting in this service right now. I told this story in the last two services. I meet with him once a week, Saturday morning, and we are good friends, good enough that we can get into each other's business. Up in your grill. And he asked me this question yesterday. I've got a son with special needs, handicapped, lives with Chris and I. Sometimes it's just, 
we don't even think in terms of like beyond this. We've just learned to deal with it and survive today. Does that make any sense right there? We just deal with today. And my friend asked me yesterday, do you still pray for his healing? Why are you asking me that question? Why are you bugging me? I didn't really think about that question. You know what's, here's, let me fillet myself real quick. The years of praying and the lack of answers has caused me not to pray the prayer anymore. I have no expectation and I'm getting exactly what I expect. Let me try it over here. I have no expectation and I'm getting exactly what I'm expecting. Where are you at when it comes to praying for the supernatural? Do you even pray those prayers anymore? Do you think those? Where's your level of faith at? Because your level of faith tells me what's going on in your spiritual life right now. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. To please Him. What are you believing God for? What are your prayers like? I bet if you're like me, a lot of my prayers are spent dealing with the stuff that's accumulated in my life rather than the faith to believe God for great things today. Anybody? Unless God opens your eyes, it's like Charlie Brown. Womp, womp, womp. Womp, womp, womp. Womp, womp, womp. You don't know what you don't know until you know. You can't see what you can't see until you see. What are your prayers like? Your level of faith. How do you test? How do you examine yourself? Again, look at me real quick, real quick, man. I love my church. I love teaching. I am not scolding. I am not talking down to. I am opening my life to say, look, I struggle with this. I deal with this. This is not me trying to be harsh. This is me trying to pull you to see something. If nothing else, I want you to pray this prayer this week. God, open my eyes. If nothing else, this is what I just want you to pray. God, will you open my eyes? Will you show me what I don't see right now? How do you examine, how do you test your level of faith now? Not tomorrow, not yesterday, your level of faith now. How about this one? This is for tomorrow. Your hope for the future. Your hope. What's your hope for the future? I listen to so many people, and all they talk about is their fear for tomorrow. Their fear for our country, their fear for the world, their fear for where things are going. Man, if all you do is eat from the trough of the local news and the national news, you have a reason to be afraid. But if you're a believer, you have a reason to hope. Where's your hope for tomorrow? Now think about this. Don't answer quickly. Don't be glib with it. Don't just blow. Think of what's your hope level like right now? Do you have an expectation God's going to do something great still? Do you believe that? As a believer, you should believe that. Let me give you the third one here. This one may be more than all, all of them that I'll give you. The four, this one might be the clearest, quickest litmus test to what's going on inside of you spiritually. How is your love for God and others? Jesus has asked this question, what's the greatest commandment? That's a legitimate question. It's a smart question. What's the greatest commandment? Do you remember his answer? Two parts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and conjunction. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. How's your love for God, your passion for God right now? And how are you doing with people? Here's what the Apostle John said. If you say you love God, but you don't like people, you're actually fooling yourself. It's easy to think I love God, but people, that's where I have my problems. (laughs) The world would be great if it wasn't for people. Maybe the greatest test spiritually of what's going on in your life, what's your love level for God and others? How passionate are you for God and the things of God? Is it growing? Is it hot? Is it heating up? Or do you find that in retreat right now? Jesus Jesus had this interesting observation about what the world would be like before his return. He said the love of many people will grow cold. When you look around the world, what do you see? Heat or cold? People's love in a lot of ways is cold. Funny enough, he's not talking to the world at large but he's talking to believers when he talks about love growing cold. Last one, this is one that I pay attention to for myself. It's how I judge a lot of what I do. What is your overall joy factor like in your life? Are you enjoying being a believer? If you're not enjoying serving God, something's broken. You and me, baby, right now, okay? If you're not enjoying serving God, something's broken. God's not broken, and you're not broken. Something else is broken. Something's broken down. How's your joy factor right now? I think one of the first things the enemy would love to steal from your life would be your joy. Without joy, it's drudgery. It's drudgery. You're just making it step after step. There's no joy to it. God wants you to enjoy your life. You get to because you said amen. Nobody else gets to. (laughs) Deal with the stuff. Discern your spiritual health. Listen to me. This shouldn't be a test. One, two, three, four. I'm going to heaven or I'm not. That is not what this is. You'll make a mistake if you look at it that way. If you look at this, if I do these things, I'm going to heaven, then those are just works, and works won't get you to heaven. Jesus gets you to heaven. But these are the, should be the outflow, the things that come from a relationship with God. Man, our level of faith, our hope, our love, our joy should all be an outflow of a relationship with God that's healthy. Paul said these three will remain when everything else is done, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is Love, I would throw joy in because if you love, joy should be the outflow of love. If I say I love my wife, but I don't have joy in that, I'm lying. I have duty, obligation, maybe even honor because I want to fulfill my commitment. But without joy, it's nothing but mechanics. God doesn't want your relationship with him to be mechanical in any way, shape, or form. It's supposed to be about the joy. Deal, discern. Here's the last one. This maybe is the one that you'll choke on a little bit. Maybe you'll say to me, Pastor, I can do one and two, but three. Uh Uh-uh. Deny. Say it with me. Deny your flesh. Matthew 6. Jesus himself talking to a group of people who want to follow him, who want to love God, who want to do God's will. Jesus just talks to them in this present tense. When you pray, 
when you give, when you fast. He doesn't say to believers, if you pray, if you give, and if you fast. Fasting is something that seems so archaic in our day. Like that's what they used to do when they didn't have good food. But pastor, we have good food. There's no reason to fast whatsoever. Let me just cover this issue. Having a heart attack, gosh, it sucks. Forgive my vernacular. I know it's not pulpit language. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me, but it also was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Here's what I learned. My flesh ruled my life. I loved God. I was going to heaven, but my flesh ruled my life, meaning this. Whatever my flesh wanted to eat, that's what we ate. And my flesh never said, let's have salad. <laughs> my flesh would say, let's eat that and then go sit on the couch and rest. And I let my flesh direct my life. And I'm going to heaven. And I teach. But my flesh, man, was so strong in my life. I did what my flesh wanted. And I want you to hear this. If you're a believer, there's a war in your life, whether you know it or not. And it's between your spirit and your flesh. And the one you feed and take care of is the one that will control how you think and what you do and where you go and how you live your life. And you'll read that it should be another way, but you'll find yourself trapped in a lifestyle that you can't get free from. And you'll think to yourself, why am I so weak in this? It's not that issue. It's that you have a strong flesh. You've learned to pamper it and give into it and take care of it. So Paul says things like this, man, I beat my flesh into subjection. In other words, i got to fight against it. I can't just let it do what it wants to do. So one of the instructions of Jesus in order to diminish or weaken your flesh, learn to deny it fast. Don't just give in to it all the time. And don't just stop, but turn your attention to God during those times so that you strengthen your inner man, your spirit. You're going to be someplace in 2017. Where do you want to be spiritually? Do you want to be strong? Do you want to be hot? Do you want to be passionate for God? Do you want to hear his voice? Do you want to see his promises come to be in your life? Yes. Or will 2017 go by like 2016 and 2015 and 2014? Where do you want to be this year? What do you want to see happen? Look, I take this so serious. Um, it's part of my personal study. Not, this isn't for your consumption. This is for me. Because I don't just read the Bible then to teach from it. I read it to feed myself. And I've been spending time over the last couple of months uh, in the book, First uh, and Second Chronicles. Here's the question. Can anything good come from the book of Chronicles? There's a lot of good that comes from there. If you don't know, Chronicles chronicles the lives of the kings of Israel and Judah. One of those kings was Hezekiah. The Bible in all those chapters basically begins by saying this was a good king who followed God or this was a bad king who led the people away from God. And it basically then just tells their life story. Hezekiah was a good king. And this is what it says about good king Hezekiah. In the first month of the first year, the first thing that he did, three firsts, was that he set about cleansing the temple inside. And then he worked on the outside. And he got the priests together and he said to them, we cannot lead Israel unless it's happening in us first. So they set about on the inside work for eight days. And after they got it taken care of on the inside... Then they worked on the outside. And I would say most of the time we do it the opposite. We work on the outside stuff, the stuff that we can see, 
And we never work on the inside stuff because you can't see it and God's got to open your eyes to see it. But here's what I know. If you deal with the inside, the outside's easy to deal with. And if you don't deal with the inside, all you'll do is fight the outside. You'll fight it. You'll just battle all the time. So I gathered our pastors together. We're going to do this as a group starting Tuesday. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, those four days, I've asked all of our pastors to gather together every morning. We're not even opening our offices until noon. We're meeting at each campus during those times. And we're fasting and praying for you for your spiritual life, for your breakthrough, for the enemy to be weakened in your life, for the spirit of God's activity to raise. Man, we want to see God do great things in your life. We want to lead that, not just teach that. Your pastors are going to pray for you. It's fast for you. We'll start Tuesday and go to Friday. And then I'll give them Saturday off. And then we'll start again next weekend, the 16th to the 20th. After we do the inside work, I want you to consider whether or not you would deny your flesh to seek God. Now you may be thinking, Pastor, I don't know if I could give up food. You can fast. How about this? Would you fast media for a day? How much does media influence your life spiritually? You don't know what you don't know until God opens your eyes. Maybe you could fast food. Maybe you don't do any of those things and you're here today hoping that 2017, spiritually, you're here because you want it to go in the right direction. So let me give you, I think, the minimum thing I would love for you to do this week. Would you just pray this prayer as the Holy Spirit reminds you? And as you spend time with God, would you just pray this prayer? God, open my eyes to what I don't see. Let me see what's going on in my life spiritually so I know what to do. So let me ask the question. How many of you will pray that this week? If you don't raise your hand, you get no promises from God. (laughs) You know what's interesting about this? I didn't plan it this way, but I recognized it when I looked at the calendar to get it organized. The 20th of January, the day we'll end fasting, is the inauguration. Look at me real quick, and let me say this clearly so you hear me. Whether you voted for or against or didn't vote at all, whether you feel positive or negative, whether you have hope or you feel like it's been stolen from you, here's what I want to ask you to do. Second Chronicles also says these really powerful words. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves fast and pray, then I will hear from heaven and listen to this promise. I will heal their land. And regardless of how you feel about an election, can we all agree together that it would be a wonderful, awesome thing for God to spiritually heal our land right now? Can we all come together on that issue right there that we need healing in our land? And if the church doesn't get this and move into this, do you think the world will? Golly, what an opportunity. Why not here? Why not now? Why not with us? Why not God revive us? Yes. Why not God speak to us? Why not God open our eyes? Why not God draw us closer to him than ever before? And the problem with this message is, unless the Lord opens your eyes, unless the Lord builds the house, 
We labor in vain just doing stuff. My prayer will be for you this week that the Lord would open your eyes, would speak to your heart, and would raise the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. Being in California for four days, this one thing stood out to me. It rained almost the whole time we were there. But every night on the news, here's what they would say. It's not making a dent in the drought that we've been under. How frustrating would it be to never be able to make a dent in the drought in your life? And here's what God promises from the overflow. I want you to operate not from the lack. And how good would it be to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you operated in your life from the overflow and not just from survival mode? It's what we're praying for this week. Father, we love you, and we want to give you the attention and the time right now to say to you, God, we don't see what we don't see unless you help us see. Father, help us see. Open our eyes right now. Let me just stop and, and, and say this. Your eyes are closed. Just, just open your ears for a moment to what I'm saying. At the middle part of my message... I felt like um, it's funny how you can teach and I can have a separate conversation in my head with God. And I felt like what the Lord was saying to me when I was talking about just the junk that accumulates in our life. That people, I didn't say this in any other service. People in this service, this campus right here, right now. Stuff happened to you in 2016 that was devastating. It was a setback. When you weigh 2016, you would have to say, that was not a good year. Maybe you made mistakes. Uh, maybe somebody else did something to you. Maybe you just find yourself in a place right now where you're discouraged and you're disappointed. And, um, and it's just affecting your spiritual life. So that as I stand up here and I try to talk about the possibilities of what God wants to do and being encouraged and being passionate for Him, you're just in such... Um, you're in such a, a, a place where it's just difficult. So I want to be really clear with you right now, man. I'm not kicking you. And I'm not trying to push you. What I felt in my heart, the Lord was saying, God is very merciful towards you. And God wants to reach out to you. God loves you and he cares for you and he wants to help you. He's not against you. And as much as everything I said is true about what God wants to do in 2017, maybe the most significant thing that could happen for you right now is that you just need the love of God and the mercy of God just to sort of unwind in your life. You just find yourself in a place right now. 2016 was just not a good year. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was finances. Maybe it was a choice, a mistake, happenstance, health. What you need right now is not to just press on, stiff upper lip, face forward. What you actually need is the mercy of God just to simply unwind in your life.
I don't know where you are, who you are, if it's several of you or one of you. But I feel the Holy Spirit just stop me in space and time and I have this deep desire to minister to you. The compassion of God would just want to reach out to you right now. The Lord would want to renew your spirit. I don't want to expose you, but would you just open your heart as I pray for you? So, Father, whoever that is, and whatever it is, God, your mercy and your grace is greater than. Father, sometimes we find ourselves trapped, a prisoner. And the very mission of Jesus on this earth was to set the prisoner free, to heal the brokenhearted, to minister healing to the wounded. To bring life and freedom right now. And instead of 2017 being a year where the direction of our life goes and that thing that happened to us in 2016, here's what I pray right now. Bring healing for that one, Lord, who's hurt right now. The power of the gospel can't change what happened yesterday, but it can alter what happens tomorrow. Pray that the Lord right now would intervene in your situation and in your life and that you would leave here with hope today. Not false hope, but hope. Hope that God knows and that God cares. And the very thing that messed you up, I pray you step on that thing and rise to victory in 2017. I pray that you'd find healing and you'd find mercy and you'd find grace. You'd find answers you'd find God and I just pray that over you and I bind it to you right now and I pray it in Jesus name amen and amen pray this week God open my eyes God open my eyes pray that prayer you can't believe anything else just ask for that God open my eyes it's a noble prayer it's a worthy prayer open my eyes Marcus is going to come and dismiss you I love you and bless you thank you